WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the current co writer on Detective Comics, as well as the writer of the graphic novels Ms. Marvel Stretch Thin and Squire, Nadia Shemes. Welcome, Nadia. Yes. Hi. It's good to be here. So uh, we'd like to ask our first time guests what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Yes, that's a, that's a real good one. Um, I would say that my trajectory is interesting, but also probably very alike for people my age, where uh, I would pick up Archie comics at the supermarket with my mom as like a kid kid. Um, and uh, when I was in like middle school and early high school, I was really into reading manga. Um, I uh, was a huge fan of Full Metal Alchemist, and I was a really big fan of horror manga. Like I would just be one of those kind of ratty, greasy teenagers uh, that would just like sit in the Barnes and Noble aisle and just stay there for hours. And I actually <laughs> picked my high school. My parents said, you have to go to a Catholic high school. But I picked my high school because it was across the street from Barnes and Noble. And I was like, all right, as long as that's that, I'll be fine. Um, But I will say the first comic I bought with my own money and like actively picked out that's like comic comic was Sandman by uh, Neil Gaiman. Um, I when I was I think for my 16th birthday, I saw these in, you know, fabulous bookends. Um, I was going to say, do I have them here? And I was like, no, Um, but they had these fabulous bookends. And I was, you know, I was a very emo, gothy little teenager. So I was totally taken with them. And then the guy, it was a comic shop. And the guy was like, why don't you read the comic as well while you're here? And then I started um, whenever I had a spare dollar buying a volume of Sandman. And that was kind of the beginnings. I think the next comic I bought was Scott Pilgrim. And then the third was Watchmen, which I took to the Middle East with me and read about 800,000 times. Good day for Sandman. Have you seen the uh, images from this? Oh, Gwendolyn Christie. Yes, I'm so excited. It's very funny when I would, if you look at pictures of me when I was a teenager, I used to draw the death spiral under my eye all the time. So they're in like a ton of photos. I just saw uh, Neil speak at in Philadelphia last week, and it was oh so good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that I. I think it's funny because I talked to some people who were like, "Oh yeah, I remember when Sandman was coming out," and I'm like, "I do love that it's the same demographic of people all the way down, even after all these years, right?" Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was kind of uh, that was those, those were my first comics. So it was kind of like manga going into uh, kind of like regular comics, and then I, I used to like in I used to like like indie comics a lot. I used to like you know do the the whole cartoonist thing like Dan Klaus and you know uh, like anything that Fantagraphics did. I would immediately eat up. Um, and I'm trying to remember my first like superhero comic. Also, when I was a teenager, was Batman for me. Batman was mm. big for me because the first Batman comic I read was Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum with Dave McKean. Mm. And I was I was like sold. I was like, this is everything to me. And then um, I started kind of going backwards, like reading really early Batman and then trying to work my way up. Um, and I was kind of like, Marvel, no, Marvel's too light for me. I don't need this. And the guy, the manager at the comic shop that I would go to, he was like, yeah, you think? Well, take a look at this. And then he handed me Kingdom Come by Mark Wade. Oh. And I was <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And then also handed me um, Kurt Busiek's uh, Marvels, like kind of as like an introduction to the Marvel universe. And that was a great recommendation. Um, so then that was kind of how I started getting into Marvel. But I would say it was the introduction of Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, that seriously got me into reading single issues. Yeah. And we will talk more about Kamala and more yes. about Batman later. Um, yes. But, but uh, we're recording a couple weeks after, uh, but mm-hmm. you had a story in the uh, Marvel Voices issue for Free Comic Book Day. Yeah. Uh, and you had uh, an Uncle Iroh story in last year's Avatar The Af- Last Airbender Free yes. Comic Book Day. Yes. Uh, but now you've gotten one in the big two. Does this feel like you know a big step up? It's, it's interesting because it's sort of like... Um... 
I don't know if you know this, but I was I was an intern at Marvel when I was in college. I was an editorial intern, um, and I just kind of have remember just being like, I want to get in there again after this internship, one way or another. And I always thought that it would be as an editor until I start, you know, started pivoting the writing, you know, more seriously, um, and. And now it's sort of like, wow, I'm, you know, it's crazy because I, I am in the door in a way that I never even thought I was capable of, you know, so it definitely feels like, you know, especially when I, I, I went to see the Batman uh, with Robert Pattinson. And as I was walking to the theater, I had this photo of being like, oh, shit, I write, <laughs> I've written Batman. <laughs> Like, oh, my God, that's crazy, you know? So I kind of, yeah, it is kind of these moments where I just kind of get hit with the surrealness of the fact that this is exactly what I wanted to do and that there is such a trajectory from, like, me picking up stuff as a teenager to now doing it. And I, yeah, like, you know, every time it feels like it's funny because every time I'm like, ah, oh, man, I hope I make it there. And then when I make it there, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm there. And then I go, can I get a little further? <laughs> How much further can I take this before I get kicked out? Yeah. Well, hopefully you continue to test that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you keep seeing me uh, doing big two stuff, then that means it's working out. <laughs> Did you do anything exciting for free comic book day? I did. I, I uh, so I moved to Toronto a little bit ago, and uh, I went to the Beguiling Bookstore, and I got to sign a few of their free Comic Book Day copies, and you know, kind of just see the the little crowd and be like, yeah, man, comics are cool. And of course, I I bought comics, and I I was like, oh, I'll only buy one or two, and then I bought like five, <laughs> you know. So that was, it was, a, and then I passed by another comic shop on my walking on my way home um, and it was swapped and I was like, hell yeah, hell yeah. I love to see it. Yeah. I think that this was the first year in like three years where you could actually see that on, on yeah. comic book day. So, yeah. you know, nice to, nice to see commerce again. Absolutely. It's that, yeah, it's nice to see. I think that it's been so long since we've been able to, uh, I guess, aggregate with the comic community. And, yeah. and that's really what gives you energy as a creator, right? Is kind of the enormous swell of excitement from your peers and from the fans of people who are fans of either your work or things that you're both the fans of. Um, and I think that it's been hitting a lot of creators really hard, you know, losing conventions, losing school visits, losing things like free comic book days, because creating is such an inherently internal process that it kind of you know you sometimes want to poke out of your shell and look around and have everyone cheer and then you're like ah right that's why I do this but I think it's been a little while since we've been able to you know get together to cheer so uh that was that was really nice on free comic book day I'm like I, I'm doing uh, a convention this year and I'm at TCAF and I'm like oh boy I, I hope that I get to be part of that big swell of energy again <laughs> very nice yeah no uh, that, that's definitely something to look forward to mm -hmm. so uh you know it, it, it's funny with guests we tend not to ask sort of the, the the breaking in uh question but i i was curious you know somebody who who straddles the space between you know graphic novels and and that bookstore market and and you know more and more now big two periodicals i'm curious kind of how where you are now uh differs from kind of how you saw yourself starting off yeah, it's it's really interesting because I I basically my career started with with that Marvel internship. I um, I went to college and all my life I wanted to be a writer. Um, but when I was in college, I kind of lost total faith in my ability to write at all. Um, and so I thought to myself, like, okay, the competition's too hard. I, I don't think that I'm going to be bringing anything special to the medium. So why don't I just help other people instead as an editor? Um, so I really wanted to kind of prove my chops as an editor. So I put together a, an anthology um, on Kickstarter called Corpus, a comic anthology of bodily ailments, because I'm type 1 diabetic and I wanted to um, 
to collect as many creators as I can to tell stories about, you know, mental or physical illness, disability, and healthcare experiences. So I, I printed my little flyers and I went to New York Comic Con and I handed it out to anyone at Artist Alley who would even look at me for too long. And I was, I think I handed one like simultaneously to a bunch of people that I had, you know, seen on Twitter and also to like, I went on like Tom King's signing line and then was like, hey, you want to do a Kickstarter anthology? You know what I mean? Like, and it wasn't, it wasn't even necessarily that I expected anything. It was just mostly like, I got to get this in front of as many people as possible because you never know who's going to say yes. And a, a ton of people ended up saying yes. And, uh, and I took submissions as well online from like newer people. Um, and we, uh, we raised it on Kickstarter for like $30,000. So I think that that was really the moment I got the book produced. Um, it was totally crazy. A portion of the books were on a boat that sank. So like there's a ship somewhere at the bottom of the ocean with like boxes and boxes of corpus. And wow. then the, the printing company went out of business, but I got people their copies. I managed it. And I think that that was the really big moment of people being like, okay, this person took this big undertaking and saw it from start to finish and actually finished and it was like an end product um so that's when people started coming up to me to freelance edit but as I was working with the folks to help edit their stories I realized how much passion I still had for my own ideas and then when people started asking oh do you also write I started kind of saying yes because uh, you don't know where that goes and it was right at that turning moment of like maybe I should give writing another chance when Sara reached out to me uh, for Squire and kind of getting that moment and feeling like oh wow this is a person that I really share you know creative ideas with and a heritage with and I think we could work really well together and maybe go you know what yeah let me try writing my first book ever so that was kind of how I broke in was through kind of the the Kickstarter uh, comics and then I think Ms. Marvel Stretch Thin was really what straddled me over in, into kind of the big two. I think that when I did that, when I did Ms. Marvel Stretch Thin, I was working with Marvel editors, even though it was published through Scholastic Graphics, mm -hmm. and they really liked what I did. So then um, I went back to the Marvel editors and I said, hey, if you ever have any work for me, and they spread that word through Marvel's editorial office, and people started reaching out to me from Marvel's editorial office, and at the same time, I was really, really uh, determined that I wanted to do something for the character of Tali Al Ghul. So then I asked my agent to get in touch with DC, and I kind of just generally hounded them for a while, like every few months, just kind of an email being like, hey, hi, <laughs> and, then occasion and then eventually they were like, yeah, okay, you know what, sure do this Wonder Woman short. And I did the Wonder Woman short. And then Joshua Williamson uh, really liked it and was like, hey, I saw on Twitter that you're a massive Talia al Ghul fan and I really liked your short. So do you want to co-write a um, Talia al Ghul short for me with me for Gotham Anniversary Giant number one? And I said, yes, of course. And Joshua, who is a lovely person completely gave me the reins he was like all right you know do your thing like you could do the dialogue the idea could you know we could come up with the idea together but like I want you to really like do what you want to do so I feel like that was my moment where I got to really do like exactly the Talia story that I would like to tell and uh the editors really liked it and from there they were like okay so what else you got and that was kind of how it went. So it's sort of like the book market, doing the Ms. Marvel book market mm -hmm. book kind of brought me over into the big two, which was a space that I did want to be in as well as the book market space. So now I guess straddling is the right word where I'm kind of like doing my book market work. But anytime that anyone from big two reached out to me, I'm, I'm like, yes, I would love to do this work thing and you know I've had a really crazy few months this year and you know the editorial team's been very supportive so I uh 
I'm very, I'm very grateful to everyone over there. It's been a good time. And they know that uh, I'm always down to do more. That's great. Yeah. You know, thinking, thinking of, uh, you were talking about Corpus and, and the ship with the books uh, or a portion of the books sinking, uh, you know, which certainly is, is, a, is, a, is a terrible thing, but also did, did you create an artifact in that sense, you know what I mean? Like, will there be, you know, decades from now, is there like a dive team? Is is this, you know? I wonder, like, <laughs> is it going to be the Titanic heart of the ocean, but it's just copies of Corpus? <laughs> Maybe. You have your, your own glorious st- Stuart, it's been 84 years moment. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> Something in the book resonates down through history and they know that they must find the lost copies uh, yeah, beneath yeah. the waves. <laughs> And then it gets maybe. spoofed in a future Britney Spears video. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Or uh, what's it? Is this the same James Cameron? James Cameron, he's got to just continue living his life. He again, runs out of things to explore in the ocean. I'll just email him and be like, listen, man, if you're looking for stuff to find, I've got some book stuff there. <laughs> or or could, could, could Corpus be the thing that finally gets the Atlanteans to contact the surface? Yeah, exactly. And they'll be like, don't ever come down here. <laughs> or, oh, you are clearly frail things. It is yeah, time exactly. to invade. Yeah, exactly. Imperious Rex. Yeah. Namor just come, jumps out. <laughs> He's like, he was like, I found your weakness. You you don't have health care. <laughs> if I break your legs, none of you will go to the hospital. None of you can afford it. Welcome to Atlantis, home of universal health care. Yeah, basically, right? <laughs> I feel like the response to Namor saying, I found your weakness, you don't have health care is, yeah, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> he, he never asked. He's never even thought of it. Well, of course, why Googled it? it. <laughs> How is that? Everywhere should have universal health care. We've yeah, had exactly. it in Atlantis for millennia. Basically, yeah. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Squire, uh, which uh, is is a graphic novel about a girl who wants to be a knight uh, with uh, Sarah Alfagi via uh, Quiltry Books. I'm just going to read the summary real quick for the listeners. Sure. Uh, born a second-class citizen, Isa has always dreamt of becoming a knight. It's the highest military honor in the once great Beit Saji Empire. Uh, and as a member of the Ornu people, her only path to full citizenship. Now ravaged by famine, Beit Saji uh, finds itself on the brink of war once again. This means Isa can finally enlist to the competitive Squire training program. The camp is nothing like she envisioned. Hiding her Ornu status uh, to blend in, Isa must navigate friendships, rivalries, and rigorous training under the merciless General Hende. Uh, As the pressure mounts, Isa realizes that the greater good Beit Saji's military promises might not include her and that the recruits might be in more danger than she ever imagined. So we talked a little bit about, you know, how you and, and, and Sara connected. Mm-hmm. How far back does this story go for you? I, I believe a lot of this came from, from her before you entered the picture, correct? Yes. So uh, Sara reached out to me, I think, in late uh, 2018. Or was it 2017? Oh my God, how much time has passed? Anyway, she reached out to me at some point a few years ago uh, after Corpus happened. And uh, she said, you know, hey, I had an editor reach out to me and, you know, and an agent and they're interested in working with me, but I don't want to do this alone. And I'm looking for a partner and let's just talk and see if we have similar touchstones. And then it turns out that we really did. Um, we were kind of the same nerdy anime history loving dorks as children. Um, and so from there, I think that I looked at some work that Sarah had already done for school because Sarah was in art college. And I was really inspired by this homework assignment that she had already done called Squire, which was about uh, like a large knight and a little uh orc girl and you know they just kind of went around and did mischief together um and but i was really inspired specifically by the environment illustrations that sarah had done for that world because it felt like a very grounded fantasy middle east 
And uh, when looking back on the stories that we loved the most, they were always the stories that were very challenging and, uh, you know, fantasy stories about militarism and and colonialism, because uh, growing up in post 9-11 America, you know, there wasn't a lot of critical media like that for kids. So when we did come across a it we you know you know really like took it to heart stuff like avatar the last airbender um so we were like okay you know we want to do that and i think that the kind of story that squire is this is the kind of story that i always wanted to do i just thought i was going to have to spend my entire career building up to it i did not think it was going to be my first book um but I couldn't be more grateful. What it really has done is made me very spoiled creatively because now I'm like, oh, okay, well now I'm only going to do the stuff I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I would say that Squire was in, it was, was starting with kind of Sarah's work, but was kind of the pulling from all the things that we both loved growing up. And so I think that Squire simultaneously uh, is a story that's been happening forever in me, but also, uh, you know, a few years back when was when it officially kind of started to take form. Was this, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy uh, graphic novel, but, you know, again, you're, you're working in a Middle Eastern setting, you're kind of, you know, and I know uh, Sara did, you know, some photo reference stuff in, in mm-hmm. Jordan and Turkey. Yeah. You know, was this a project that you needed to do any research for? Yes, definitely. Um, I think that, you know, we had done a ton of world building that didn't necessarily directly make its way into the story, but did really inform the way that the characters behave, their histories, the way they interact with each other, um, the way that they may have a greater or less proximity to the, you know, cultural homogeny of Beitsaji or, uh, you know, their class. So I I did a ton of world building research. Mostly my part was doing research on um, Ottoman armies and Byzantine culture and, uh, you know, especially pulling stuff about kind of the Janissaries, which was like the Christian slave army in the Ottoman Empire. and kind of the Janissaries being a really interesting position where none of them were, you know, none of them were like native Ottomans in a way, uh, because they were always taken from kind of colonies, but at the same time, they were like the only real army. So it was an interesting moment of, you know, status as being used as a way to kind of keep an elite fighting force who is not necessarily part of the majority of your empire. Uh, so yes, so I did I did quite a bit of uh, research on Ottoman and Byzantine histories. I did a lot of sword research, which was super fun. Um, basically learning like why curved blades and it turns out to be because curved blades work better on horseback and horseback is uh, better for Ottomans because of the large planes. Actually, Beit Saji, so Beit is house in Arabic and Asaj is like a long, hot, flat grill that you make flatbread on so it's like a hot flat plane then where horses would probably do better um and uh so yeah it's there was a bunch of research i remember sending in in the script putting uh videos about medieval sa- uh saddles like what did a medieval saddle look like how did you saddle a horse in medieval times um and also uh, did a lot of fight scene references that I put in the script for Sara as well. Um, a lot of uh, Princess Mononoke and uh, Game of Thrones and like Turkish soap operas and Samurai Champloo <laughs> because I, uh, you know, so, and Sara of course had total, like the fight scenes were very loosely written in the script. I really kind of was more emphasized in like, here's how it should feel rather than here's what happens. So Sara took that and ran with it. And I know that she referenced like Bleach and other kind of manga um, 
for that. So, so yeah, I would say that there was, there was quite a bit of research done on both ends for like the look and also the justification for how this empire would work. Um, I, I really liked the, the character design because you can tell how big an empire we're talking about by the fact that, you know, there's, the characters aren't homogenous, right? You know, yeah. there are, there are uh, Arabic presenting characters. There are, mm-hmm. there are black presenting characters. There's, mm-hmm. you know, Indian presenting characters, except, you know, yeah, uh, et cetera. How much kind of time did you spend sort of discussing how you wanted all these characters to look or, or you know, had yeah. Sara had a lot of this in her head already? I think that it's pretty interesting because uh, Arab is is not an ethnic group, it's a language group. So I think across the Middle East, there is so much variety in what we all look like and our, you know, our backgrounds and our tribes. Like there are, you know, black Arabs and, and there are like, you know, Arabs who look very different because the area is so massive. So I think that we both are wanted to reflect the extreme diversity of the Middle East, especially because usually when people think of areas like the Middle East, they think of it as very one note. They all kind of have the same, you know, brown terrorist with like a turban and frizzy hair in their head. That's what, that's what everybody imagines when they think of Arabs. So, but really Arabs can look very, very different from one another. And, you know, um, and you'd be surprised at the amount of genetic diversity in the Middle East. So we really wanted to specifically be like, this is an all, you know, Arab Middle Eastern uh, inspired world. And it reflects the diversity of that world. Um, So I think that when we were talking about the characters, we mostly talked about what tropes we wanted them to embody, because that would help Sara understand the character acting. So Husni, you know, we were like, all right, Husni's bookish, so he would be kind of slight, but he'd still need to be strong because archery requires a lot of strength. So, uh, but, you know, at the same time, he's wealthy, so he probably carries himself a specific way. You know, Basim, similarly would like pro you know he's like the cocky legacy kid he walks into every room with a lot of swagger you know because he's the best fighter he's been fighting for years um so it was that kind of thing i think that sarah has said multiple interviews that she would just kind of borrow people's faces like she would just be like hey my friends can i you know oh like this friend has these features i'm gonna borrow some of that so that all of the uh you know diversity of the character designs kind of reflected the diversity of people that sarah knew so i think it was really uh sarah who like you know, my my area was mostly just kind of helping define who the characters were. And then it was Sara who kind of really nailed it. Another aspect with also was that with all that world building, I um, had drawn a map, like a really like crappy map. But what it did was that it helped kind of explain where geographically the characters were in relation to each other. And that also helped inform like, okay, if these characters are from the South or they're seafaring, like Husni's people and or if they were like up north in the mountains like in the mountains of Lebanon and they would be more like Sahar who's you know a bit paler but also stockier you know so that it was kind of like that was the closer kind of one-to-one of of informing it but yeah it was mostly Sarah who took it and you know I I laid a little bit of groundwork but she was the one who kind of ran with it and, and it knocked it out of the park. So, uh, you know, we always love seeing this, but, uh, you know, we just wanted to, you know, uh, point out that panel by panel uh, is is doing or, you know, has as yes. Squire as a cover story. That's that's fantastic. Oh, I'm so excited. It's like I've been a, a fan of panel by panel for years. So I uh, I'm so excited to see like, you know, the, the amount of work they do to about craft you know, and, and that's not always, you know, what's afforded us as diverse creators. Often, you know, we kind of get the the first level of like, wow, you know, so brave. And that's lovely. And we need that support too. But it's also nice to kind of have someone be like, this isn't just, you know, an important story in terms of themes. It's also a well-made story. 
So we mentioned earlier, and you talked a little bit before about uh, Ms. Marvel stretched thin, your yeah. uh, all ages Ms. Marvel graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the theme of that book uh, was sharing the load and understanding you don't have to be perfect in everything you do. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, you know, very important for the, that, you know, tween teen audience that this was geared towards. I mean, it doesn't it, all resonate with a lunatic with a full-time job, two weekly podcasts, and <laughs> someone who's still trying to have some semblance for life outside that. Um, did, did this theme resonate personally with you? Yes, it is a thing I have to tell myself every single day. <laughs> I think that I was, as a kid, an exceptionally nervous kid. Um, I really wanted to be a perfectionist. I would, if I you know, and even now I I have things where if I even think I'm close to failing or doing a bad job, I'm like, it's all over. It's the end. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to lose all my jobs and no one's going to hire me. Then what am I going to do? What is my life without writing? I'm going to go hop on a train and start a new life and name myself Nancy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, (laughs) so yes, I have to, I have to have this conversation with myself every day being like, it's okay. You know, if somebody, if other people, other people want to help you inherently, um, you know, you're not ruining your relationships. If you tell anyone that you need help help and you know everything like like no man is an island and it's funny because it's so much easier to say that to someone else than it is to say it to yourself right one of us one of us (laughs) (laughs) yeah you are preaching to the choir yeah Um, yeah but yeah um you spend a fair amount of time in the book uh with nakia who's a character i've loved since the beginning of kamala's adventures but who in the main title is often felt underserved compared Agreed. to Bruno and Zoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made her the character you wanted to spend time playing uh, Kamala, Kamala off of? Exactly what you just said. I'm a big uh, Nakia fan. And I also feel that uh, often in the main series, she's really sidelined and it, which is, you know, very sad because she's, a, you know, one of the, the like major hijabi characters of Ms. Marvel. And also she's just such a badass in her own way. You know, she just kicks so much ass. She's so confident. She's so unapologetic. And I think that, you know, she's a good foil to to Kamala, who's like a very, you know, sweet, nerdy girl who's trying to figure it out. But Nakia, it's not that she's figured it out, but she's definitely figured herself out. And that's like a really admirable trait. So I felt that, you know, there is no one who would be closer to Kamala than Nakia, someone who is very different than her, but completely understands all of the cultural stuff that she deals with. And at the same time, like, you know, just kind of is a, is a sturdy rock that Kamala needs in her life because her life is honestly pretty chaotic. So <laughs> I think that I... Uh, I just love Nikia. And I, that was my bias that I was like, I got to I want to make her such an important part of this book because I just think that she deserves way more love. And, you know, I love Bruno. I think he's, he's great. I love their, you know, will they, won't they energy, but, uh, but yeah, Nikia, Nikia's girl number one. She's, she's it. Now in her intro panel, you list one of her powers as podcast recommendations. Yes. <laughs> uh, as I, you know, have already made it clear, I have all of this time. Uh, I, I'm, you know, still always looking for more podcasts. Yeah. What podcasts would Nakia recommend? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Okay, <laughs> I think Nakia would probably recommend podcast like uh, Citations Needed. Um, which is kind of like a, like a two PhDs talk about, you know, kind of everything that's happening and then like things that you, you know, go into deep depths about things that you might not know about. I feel like she probably does like those kind of entertaining nonfiction podcasts where you kind of are entertained by the people talking, but you also learn. Um, I think that uh, she also would listen to um well i don't know maybe it's just because i started listening to a podcast called just king things uh about stephen king and i'm like what did you listen to that 
<laughs> I would. Yeah. <laughs> Where basically it's uh, my my partner got me on it, and uh, I just I started listening. I listened to the episode about Pet Cemetery, and I was like, okay, I might keep going. Um, but it's they they start reading uh, Stephen King chronologically as he's like, you know, starting from the beginning of his career through. I think that they're at like a short story collection now and. Uh, and and honestly, it was it was a pretty. I listened to the Pet Cemetery episode. I was like, this is pretty fun. Like, uh, I I would I, I'm gonna keep going. So I'm like, I feel like Nikia would maybe not listen to just cake things, but would listen to something like it. Or you know, I don't know. Does she like Stephen King? It's a great question. I just have to go back and write another graphic novel and figure that out. Yeah, I know. It's funny because I think I do have a reference to uh, Friends at the Table, which is a tabletop podcast that that I listen to. Um, I have that at the end of the book where Miles Morales and Bruno talk about that podcast because I think they absolutely listen to live tabletop games. So podcasts. So like 1000%. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have any particular uh, hopes or or things that you'd like to see in the uh, Disney plus show when that uh, drops? Oh, geez. Next month. I can't believe that that God it's almost June. Um, But I, I would love to see Nakia. I would love to see more Nakia. Um, I would love to see, you know, her family as a big character. I'm a big fan of, you know, Kamala's family dynamics. And I think that's also very realistic. You know, uh, something that I, I really love about Ms. Marvel is just kind of seeing a very similar family dynamic, like background culture dynamic that I really recognize, which is honestly your immigrant parents are going to be in your business 24 hmm. seven. So I would just love to have them there and, you know, just kind of, I think, I think the most interesting thing about, about Kamala is not you know, necessarily her powers or adventures, but it's mostly about how she kind of navigates those things with her, you know, with her family and her friends. That's great. Now, kind of on on the, looking into the future, Mm -hmm. uh, you've also got uh, Where Black Stars Rise. uh, Yes. Coming later this year, which is uh, an interpretation of uh, The King in Yellow with mm-hmm. Marie Inger. Uh, Marie has such a sharp, distinct style. They are one of those artists that I can tell right away. Oh, that's Marie. Yeah, uh, absolutely. How did how did you two get paired up? Uh, we were just kind of friends uh, who talked uh, a bit. And um, I think Marie had done a uh, sketch, like just kind of like a fun little sketch of the King in Yellow. And I was uh, really into it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to do something with that. And at the same time, Marie had kind of introduced me to some horror recommendations, uh, Marie and my friend Danny Lore as well, who they both recommended The Ballad of Black Tom, mm-hmm. um, which I adore. Um, and and I had also read uh, Cassandra Ka's, uh Hammers on Bone at around that time. And so I think Marie and I just naturally were talking about The King in Yellow, kind of talking about the new like Eldritch stuff. And also actually Marie and I uh, kind of met because I edited a few issues of Marie's kind of like indie series, Photogen and Loathing, which was like, you know, uh, Eldritch dude, where's my car? um <laughs> and it, and, that's a good uh, tagline <laughs> yeah yeah so so we were already kind of uh vibing on this and so when we finally decided to actually do it we you know we we kind of figured out it, that it was a novella and that we wanted to do it together and uh and kind of pull from both of our experiences as people and uh and it kind of came out like that great and that's still on target for uh yes fall this this october October. uh where black stars rise yeah so it's kind of a uh site mostly psychological horror with some uh eldritch and body horror thrown in excellent yeah so now that you you know 
we like we've talked about them even picking up more periodical work as well mm -hmm. how does that impact the graphic novel side of things and vice versa is there like a balancing sort of scheduling when you're working on what pretty much yeah i think that uh i i have like a planner that is constantly being scribbled in and of like all the little things and even then i bad like i think i'm gonna have to start writing like email back this person email back this person <laughs> like as uh, just in a list format um in my planner but yeah so essentially i i have to kind of schedule around so i have to be like okay when are all the deadlines happening what are my personal like checkpoints that i'm trying to hit and then uh i try to hit them as best as i can so before we move into DC territory, where we are mm -hmm. headed next, uh, I wanted to ask you about the backups you did in uh, New Bern, the Chipsky yes! Jacob Phillips crime book. I'm uh, so glad to be asked about that. I am a I'm a crime book. I'm a crime comic, crime story in general aficionado. Mm -hmm. um, how did that opportunity present itself? Uh, did you have a crime comic percolating in your head for a while and? this just seemed the time to tell it and the right opportunity or sort of um it was that uh i i was i already kind of had harassed Chipsarski as a fan of sex <laughs> criminals just kind of generally at conventions and um i know that they were looking for someone to do a backup and i was like i'm interested and then they were like we'll let you know and then after a certain amount of time they reached out to me they're like are you still interested and i was like yeah um so and i had never really done a, a crime thing but you know i i'm fr i was born and raised in new york so i love new york um and it's actually funny i was born in new york we went back to palestine and then i came back when i was five so i had like a semi-immigrant <laughs> experience but uh ultimately uh yeah so I, I was like yeah i love i would love to do something that's kind of a love letter to my specific neighborhood that i grew up in um and when i realized it was a crime comic i called my dad and i said hey so you're pretty shady <laughs> did you have you ever <laughs> you got any you got any stories <laughs> and the thing is that my dad also like uh lived in new york through the 70s and 80s so i was like you have stories new york was fucked up <laughs> back then i know you have stories <laughs> you know and, and especially because my dad uh like worked in uh like you know in uh, labor and like had window shade company and you know it was um it's it's pretty funny so uh you know there's there's been a lot of mafia stuff in there uh, historically so i was like come on you got something and then he was like oh what if you tell a story about a guy in a supermarket whose manager is like robbing sardines and stuff because they're the most expensive things and then selling them on the side and it was like and then two bodybuilders who work for him are the ones who stop him and i was like this happened. And he was like, yeah, it did happen. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but that was almost the story. And I, I think that I, I was like, I thought that would have been hysterically funny. But um, what I ultimately was actually inspired by was a little bit of family history. Uh, so by, uh, I have an uncle that I'm estranged from, who did get his jewelry store broken into and robbed. Um, and uh there was like my dad was like you know what uh the we saw it in the news and then my dad was like man i bet he's insured his business i bet he'll be fine and then of course i thought what if what if what if we kind of took that a step further story-wise? You know what I mean? Like they caught the guys who did it and everything. So it's like a real robbery. But I was like, but what if he, what if someone had just kind of tried to plan a thing? Um, and so I kind of took this like estranged relationship that my dad had with his brother, plus like a little bit of facts about, you know, like my, uh, my grandfather, did actually have a jewelry display business that I lived on top of when I was a kid. Um, 
and uh, nothing is um, exciting as, as, you know, like brother and fighting and all that, but, you know, that's where you add the drama. So basically, I just kind of took uh, the family drama as well as, like, just the little areas of my neighborhood where all, like, the old shady Arab uncles would hang out, and I was like, let me just kind of craft a crime story out of that. I think I pitched it as Uncut Gems But Stupid. <laughs> Like two two chip sarsky. So and then he was like, Yeah, that's great. So then I I went to write it and I had the time of my fucking life writing that 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 backup because crime dialogue is so fun, so snappy. Same thing with detective comics, which maybe we could segue, but like I love to write and working on detective because that little noir shit, I live for it, you know. So I was like, I didn't realize how I never worked on anything crime. I didn't realize how fun it would be. And now I like my dream. I would love to revisit that backup and make it a whole thing. Like I, like I, I loved writing it. It was so much fun. The the voices, the dialogue, you know, the the like shady characters, the smoky hookah bar. I had a blast. I would read that book. Yep. I really. You know what? I hope. I hope. I hope someday. I, I know that Ziad, who was the artist on that, who was like phenomenal, like just so amazing. I know that he he also had a good time. So I'm going to be like, someday I'll be like, Ziad, you want to <laughs> you want to flesh this one out into a full book? Because like, ooh. That, that is an excellent segue. Um, for those out there unfamiliar, uh, you're co-writing the current and final arc of Mariko Tamaki's uh, Run Detective. Yes. Uh, which features one of the, the great bat rogues, the Riddler. Uh, you talked about teaming up with Joshua Williamson before for mm-hmm. that Talia backup. How did this team up come about? Yeah, so the, this team up also came about with, um, with the editor reaching out to me, the same editor who had worked with me and Josh and being like, hey, I have a crazy idea, but do you want to hop on this? And uh, and I was like, absolutely, because the Riddler is one of my favorite Batman villains, uh, easily. Um, I, have, I have a lot of feelings about their relationship. <laughs> So I was like, yes, absolutely. And, and that was kind of the, the basis of, of, you know, we kind of all talked together on the phone and, and we kind of all like, we're like, yeah, 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 we're feeling this kind of vibe between the two of them. Uh, so, so that's, that's how it happened. How extensive were the discussions around the Riddler's facial hair? I had no comment. I didn't know it was happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what, but uh, Ivan is a legend, and therefore I will not question any of his decisions, <laughs> not even the facial hair. See, I've been making a joke for years now that since Scott Snyder and Zero Year, as those mutton chops came in, Eddie has been looking more and more like some sort of hipster pickup artist, yeah, yeah. and this now takes it to an entirely new level and he has a fucking podcast (laughs) and and he's been wearing like a bowler for how many years i know i know i love him what a camp queen oh Oh, eddie yeah i love eddie ah he's so weird he's so annoying Oh, oh believe me if you have ever listened to an episode of my other podcast bat chat with matt and will the, the amount of times that I talk about how much I just want to punch Eddie in the head. I want to bully him. <laughs> He's so bullyable. But oh. God, I love him. <laughs> yes. I will. I personally, I know that it was very, uh, Paul Dano's Riddler's look was very controversial. I had a great time with Paul Dano's Riddler. I occasionally break out into a high-pitched Ave Maria out of nowhere. <laughs> and my part drives my partner insane. <laughs> When approaching Riddler specifically, yes, how challenging is making sure the Riddler game he's running plays fair? That seems to me why he's one of the trickier Batman villains, because theoretically it all has to hold together on a read. Yeah. yeah. I find riddles very difficult to create. 
Um, and I think that I approached it from the relationship of the way that I view kind of the Riddler's whole relationship with Batman is that I think it's very intimate. I think that the Riddler with each riddle is, is um, inviting Bruce, the world's greatest detective, to enter his mind and to like play in the space with him. I think that the Riddler is never really looking to destroy Batman as much as he's looking for kind of that that push pull, you know, uh, that's my kind of interpretation of him. Um, so I think that for him, he wants to put on as good a show for Batman as anyone else. He wants it to be compelling. He wants it to be, you know, twisting and turning. And he wants to be, you know, seen and understood. And if he's going to be thwarted, it's because he was properly thwarted, not because, you know, no cheating. So I think that it's more about like, what is the experience that the Riddler is creating for Batman? And that is also the experience that we're creating for the reader. What is, uh, what is the Riddler? What is the game? What is the message? What is he trying to do here? Because it's not just reveal the bat or kill the bat. It's never that simple. It's like always just kind of like a, play in my space. I just want to play. I want an equal. I want to be seen and I want to be stopped. So when, when working on this project specifically or things mm -hmm. in general, uh, what, what's more daunting writing an established classic character like Batman or Oracle or Riddler or someone like Deb Donovan, who's only been handled nearly exclusively by one creator who you happen to be working with. Yeah. Or are yeah. neither of them particularly daunting or are they both equally daunting? <laughs> I think they're, they're both equally daunting. I think that with a character that's already existed, you want to match their voice while also not losing your own interpretation of who they are. Um, so I think that it's kind of balancing it where you don't make them feel or sound completely out of character, but you do kind of uh, take your own, your own flavor on them. Um, I think Detective Comics was, was really fun for me because I, uh, I did, I did a lot of dialogue passes and for me, I, I just kind of went in there and considering Ivan's art, I was like, and, and, you know, talking to Mariko, Mariko brought up noir and was like, I just want to, you know, I want to be noir. I was like, you want to be noir? Let's fucking do it. <laughs> and so like, I, you know, I wanted the, 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 like the girl, you know, the first issue, which has come out so I could talk about it, you know, Sarah pet with the cigarette and she's like, there's nothing you can do. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, yes, I, this is, you know, I, I could hear the jazz. I could hear the saxophone in the background of that scene, you know? So it was kind of, yeah, it, it was kind of, uh, I think my approach was like definitely a, a hyper reality. I wasn't going for like gritty realism. I was going for kind of like a, a real, you know, like the big sick type, you know, energy. Uh, and and uh, so, and it makes sense that the Riddler would be in there <laughs> because, you know, I love the the serious approach in the movie and I love what he's taken seriously as a threat. But I also love what he's just, you know, Edward Nigma, which is the only complaint I have about the movie is that they cowards did not name him mm. Edward Nigma. I think they named him something else, Nigma. And I was like, no, Enigma, that is his name. <laughs> the Arkham video game Riddler who is just the worst. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I play those games and it's just like, I just need to get to hundred percent completion just so I can punch him. Yeah. 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 No, he, that is, that is the feeling that I think that he could, he could evoke, even though again, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big Paul Dato fan and I, and I just recite his goddamn lines all the time <laughs> I, I love his screams oh my god and i love his sorry i'm rambling but i love no. his little uh god i love that when he talks to batman he's like bruce wade bruce wade and then on his youtube video he's like hey guys well you know thanks for liking and subscribing and being part of the community i was like what the fuck 
talking to Batman, he's an absolute maniac, but when he's like, he's a regular Twitch dude, like when he's <laughs> on his street. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> 10 out of 10 performance. I love it. <laughs> also, God, Batman really ate shit in that movie, didn't he? Oh my God, that scene with the flying squirrel <laughs> yes! where he hits the wall. Yes, I was like, do you have a personal problem with Robert Pattinson? Like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? But I love it. I love when you really remember that Batman does not have a single power. And he's just like a meat suit with money trying not to die. I adore it. Adore it. I, I watch a lot of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And there, there's an episode <laughs> from like season four where D attempts to run out of a shoe store stealing a pair of like thousand dollar shoes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she runs headfirst into the side of a car that's parked on the side of the street. That that actually happened. That was not a stunt double. Oh, no. oh Come to God. find out. But it has the exact same energy as that scene. <laughs> So the week as we're recording this, uh, so the week before it drops, uh, Shadow War Zone will be out and you have a story in there. I do. Uh, Is this Talia again? This is Talia. This is my main girl. Anything you can tell us knowing that this will drop after and we will not spoil anything? (laughs) Oh, good. Um, So this is dropping after sick. Yes. Uh, Yes. Yes. I, um, I love any time that I get to kind of touch on Talia's backstory. I think that her, uh, you know, kind of growing up years are a really, uh, you know, big whole big mystery. And I think that those are also the best places to kind of try to add some nuance to her relationship with her father. Um, and so uh, I could say that this is a look back on Talia um, looking, finding something out about her family history that, uh, and something about the Lazarus pit specifically that she did not know before. Mm. Interesting. Yes. Um, yes, I've, I've so far gotten to do Talia, a few Talia shorts um and they're always like my fa- absolute favorite thing i, I talia al ghul is my favorite character in the entire bat universe um and uh yeah it's always a huge delight to write her speaking of those the sh- those shorts and uh wonder woman black and gold mm-hmm. and those free comic day stories uh you've written now a bunch of graphic novels and some normal floppies but you've done shorts Mm-hmm. What muscles do those stretch for you that longer form stuff doesn't? Yes, shorts are harder than longer form stuff because you have only so much space to get compelling story in and you don't want to crowd it, you know, so you can't have a ton of dialogue or like you know, and you don't want it to be boring where every page is like seven or eight panels. You want to have those big splashy moments. So I think that it's like a real, you know, comics is already a, a real challenge in economy, right? And, and what do you show? What do you say? Um, how do you do it? How many pages are you going to spend? Um, and I think shorts, knowing that you only have like eight to 10 pages to do it, even harder. It's like really like, you know, it's 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 a real magic trick, but but also pretty fun because yeah, you gotta kind of get really creative with how you tell it, you know. Um, so we're 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 gonna be in the cool down, uh, mm-hmm. but it's been a bit since we got to do a pet corner, so I'm very pleased to bring it back with a favorite question. Or yes, please tell us about your cat. Yes, <laughs> I have a cat named Dash. I had wanted to, we adopted her um, about a year and a half ago. I had wanted to name her something like Sybil or, you know, because she's a long haired tabby cat and I wanted to name her something very mythical, but the foster who from the adoption agency named her Dash because she's a very skittish cat who kind of runs around. Um, And we also noticed that she gets very overly excited and kind of runs into walls um and she's so sweet but absolutely goofy absolutely empty-headed 
like you look in her eyes and there's not nary a spark there. Um, and, and so we realized that, no, we really can't. She, there is really no better name than Dash. So she's a long hair tabby. She sheds everywhere. Um, she uh, loves tummy rubs. Um, she's a very, very strange cat who, uh, when we first adopted her, would just kind of hiss to herself, like not at us, just kind of like meow and hiss to herself, just kind of, and it seems like she's not been socialized around other cats, which makes us believe that perhaps she was raised by squirrels or raccoons, (laughs) Um, because she is very squirrel-like. I don't know. There's something, there's something up with her. Uh, She has a very expressive face that she always makes like really strange facial expressions. Um, She, a very strange thing about her also, she has never thrown up not because she doesn't throw up, but because when she does throw up, she keeps her mouth closed and then just swallows it back down and has done this for a year and a half. And I'm like, at some point, something awful is going to happen. No, as someone whose cat used to do that because of where she was raised, yeah, she will eventually just, it will come out and she will realize that we didn't, you know, throw her out of the house or anything yeah and then she will just barf everywhere okay <laughs> make up okay. for lost time yeah. i kind of i but in a way i'm slightly relieved because right now i just kind of look at her and i'm just like what's happening in that body of yours it's just if, filled with vomit if our experience is anything we were fairly certain that our cat's previous owner would scold her for barfing yeah. in places so she would force it back down yeah and then eventually when we briefly had another cat who did barf place. She's like, oh, they're not, you know, being awful to him. Maybe I can? Oh, I can! We're pretty sure that Dash also was from a home where, you know, maybe was a little bit mistreated because she's like, you know, she's missing a tooth. And also, it seemed that even though she was only in foster for a month, that she was very familiar with stuff like a scratching post or a litter. So we were like, okay, you have lived inside at some point. So you know what these things are. But it just seems like from the amount of fear that you have, that you were probably not treated well. But now she is a, the, the spoiled princess of this house, which she deserves. Um, but yes, yeah, she only eats the finest of tiki cat wet food. Um, she screams two hours before dinner, um, but does it the whole time. I have another cat the, uh, in New York where uh, I moved from that I have not brought over to Canada yet, but she's chilling with my mom right now. Her name is Lilith. She is a 13-year-old black cat. Um, she, in opposition to Dash, has always been very comfortable around people, loves attention, Um truly truly brilliant and wickedly evil dash is good-hearted lilith is genuinely cruel uh not to me but (laughs) to everyone else um uh, i've seen her um in the apart when i first adopted her when i was a teenager our old apartment had mice and i watched her once like kill a mom mouse and then leave the body out and wait for the rest to come the children and then just mouse massacred and i was like oh no also that's so smart and so terrible why would you do that and then she like you know gave the big mouse to my dad because he's larger and he needs more meat obviously um another thing that she did was i had a friend staying with me who she really hated um so she went into his bag uh found his leather jacket threw up only on the leather jacket and then waited for him to find it with an eye shot so that he knew she did it your dash and our best would get along quite well because Bess is the is the big dumb queen of this house and loves she 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 loves love and Mm -hmm. will but but she's big and dumb and i think your lilith and our dearly departed felix Felix was enough of a jerk that he was my my wife's cat before we met. And anytime she would have company and he would get shut out of the the room, mm-hmm. he would go into the kitchen and the cabinets are the type that when they're open, they would shut on their own. Mm-hmm. He would just sit in front of it 
open, slam, open, slam, (laughs) all night long. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, yeah, those are the two, my two cats, my beautiful evil daughter Lilith who is a a menace from the depths of hell uh, who is very sweet to me and Dash who is just simply just big dumb fluffy anxious (laughs) love it well uh, the the cats have certainly won the day uh, this time but I do just want to point out that Squire begins with Isa feeding a dog which is is how we know she is pure and good so exactly there's your dog content listeners um what are what are you reading right now that is such a good question um i am reading so okay i am reading a manga called i am a cat barista (laughs) (laughs) i've got like issue volume one right here uh it is it is very great it's just basically about a cafe that like they like little vignettes of people who are stressed out from their lives and they go in this cafe and then the cat barista tells them exactly what they should order um and he brings it to them and they it, it helps them get through their problems temporarily and and yeah that's basically it's just very soft very cute i saw the cover and title and i was like i have to buy this um so i bought i am a cat barista uh i also recently bought oh i recently read a frog in the fall from piao books uh because my kickstarter copy came and i was so excited and that was absolutely beautiful i'm looking at my bookshelf right now um (laughs) i also recently purchased uh witches by which is like a, a manga collection all of this is the stuff that i was i bought at uh the beguiling during free comic book day (laughs) so uh so yeah so i've been reading a lot of manga lately um and that's been really fun uh yes awesome well nadia this has been a fantastic time uh final question as we release you uh back to your life uh how can people follow you online and keep up with uh everything that you are working on Yes, so uh, I am on Twitter more than I should be uh, at uh, Nadia underscore Shamas underscore, and that's S-H-A-M-M-A-S. You could also find me on Instagram at Nadia Shamas, um, and that is mostly where you can see. I definitely still have some big two stuff to be announced, so uh, I would say my little hint is Kamala fans keep an eye on my profile all right well uh nadia thank you so much for coming on the show absolutely thank you for having me this was super fun that's it for this week's show as a reminder wmqna is part of comics xf where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast battle of the atom chris is on infinite earths and bat chat with matt and will co-hosted by matt lazowitz and our bud will nevin uh p.s matt and will sorry i made you read white knight again you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Kat Purcell from ComicsXF, Liz Large from ComicsXF, Will Nevin from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, the ForceWorks character Sentry was apparently part of Combo Man. WMQA.